Hello, sailor. Buy me a drink? Uh, oh, you see, I, I'm not a sailor, I'm a frog. Ah, uh, that's a small talk and buy me a drink. But I don't even know you. Hey. You making a move, my girl? No, sir. He did too. He touched me. Ugh, go watch. You get what? No, you see, that's just a myth. Yeah, but she's my myth. No, no, myth, myth. Yeah. What the hell? Moving right along in search of good times and good news. With good friends you can't lose. This could become a habit. Opportunity knocks once. Let's reach out and grab it. Yeah. Together we'll nab it. We'll hitchhike bus or yellow cabin. Cabin? Moving right along. Footloose and fancy free. Getting there is half the fun. Come share it with me. Moving right along. We'll learn to share the load. We don't need a map to keep the show on the road. Fozzie, I want you to turn left if you come to a fork in the road. Yes, sir. Turn left at the fork in the road. Permit. I don't believe that. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. This is Jim. And now, here he is, head of the VP vetting process for presidential candidate Joe Biden, Teal. I think I'm going to pull a Dick Cheney and uh, just choose myself. <laughs> <laughs> was that the real thing? Was was Dick Cheney supposed to be on the vetting committee? And he just... no, Dick Cheney was in charge of the committee to find a vice president. I guess in the you know what I guess in Vice, you know what it was. All right, so I, you never saw Vice, right? No, no, no. Right. So what happens is he gets approached by George Bush to be the vice president, and he's like, "Yeah, that's not going to happen." He's like, "That I don't right. want." He's like, "That's that's awful." So he says, "I'll help you pick somebody," and then he starts thinking about the role, and he's like. Hmm, you know what? There's some things I could do if he doesn't let me. And this guy's kind of an idiot. Yeah. So uh, then he's like, comes back to him and he says, yeah, you know what? I think that I will be your vice president, but uh, under these circumstances, because I think that the normal job would be boring for me. And he was kind of like what, uh, remember the whole thing during the last election when um, Kasich was approached yes, by, yes. and they said, well, you could be the vice president and you'll basically do everything. And then he's like, well, what would the, what would uh, Trump do? And he's like, well, he'll go out and, and make speeches and be presidential. Yes. He'll go make America great again while you're doing all the work. That's it. And so basically that's what happens with, right. with uh, that. And vice is like a movie that, cause you never saw it we, yeah. we didn't talk about it it's a uh, you know what it's almost too disturbing and, and i think they were trying to go for a, a little yeah. bit of comedy but it is so deadly serious that i feel like people should watch it because it'll really make you understand what's going on behind the scenes today right um, right and, and it's really where dick Cheney and and his cohorts from the Nixon administration laid the foundation for the mess we're in now. Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I know. And we're not even going to talk about that. We're going to talk about, <laughs> I think, last, so last week, right? If you're, a, yeah. if you're a faithful listener, you were probably thinking, oh, they're going to talk about The Five Bloods, <laughs> Spike Lee's newest uh, film on Netflix. But, you know, we didn't get, we didn't get a chance. So maybe we're going to talk about it today, are we? Well, we might. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Did you see it? Or were you busy watching the rest of those Harry Potter movies? Well, I love those Harry Potter movies now. <laughs> I watched all... No, no, no. I have no... I, don't get me started on Harry Potter. Damn you. 
know, it, it's so funny. We have all the Blu-rays. Uh, maybe when this pandemic is over, you can come on over. We'll put it on the big screen and we'll watch them all. Okay, really? Have a marathon. My oh. boys were way into those movies, man. Uh, they was like a rite of passage. I mean, all the yeah. books and the movies, and they really enjoyed them. And then they'll go through phases where, you know, if they catch some of it on TV for whatever reason, then they might suddenly be like, oh, let's rewatch those movies. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, my kids just don't like Harry Potter. <sighs> I just don't know, you know. But it's so funny because there's a lot of, I feel like, as they uh, the movies went on, the the guy, the actor there, yeah, uh, what's his Daniel name? Radcliffe, yeah, he got better as an actor. Yeah, the first couple of movies, he was a terrible actor. Yep, um, but he actually got better, though he's kind of a an odd odd a- a character. You know, I mean, that's what happens. You age, you don't know what they're going to turn out to be as an adult, and right, and he turns into sort of an odd duck, doesn't he? Yeah, but, you know, it kind of fits. He becomes, I guess, the Harry Potter guy. And, yeah. Um, as a matter of fact, all those kids, I think, they got to be better actors. So mm-hmm. that's kind of interesting as they got older. But, you know, I think that the, your daughters might like some of the later ones. Well, I don't know. Would you, did the oldest one see any of the movies? She saw the first one. That's it? Yeah, that's it. And, <laughs> uh, you know, part of the issue is I have two girls. They're not that, like... If the movies, you know, if Hermione was the main character, they'd probably be into it. But plenty of girls love. I know, I know. Series. They just. And you know what? You didn't see, like I said, you didn't see some of these other ones and they get into, you know, the, uh, Hermione's a pretty big character in the movie. Oh, I know she is. Yeah. You think you do. But you did, you read all the books. Don't I read all the books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. did read all the books. Okay. Yeah. So I know what this, I, I know what happens in the movies. I just haven't seen them. All right. Let's segue. You saw The Five Bloods. Finally, I saw right? The Five Bloods. Now, did you have to rewatch it from the beginning or did you pick it up from where you left? I rewatched it from the beginning okay uh since you know you, you've seen it more recently than me and i've already forgetting details <laughs> why don't you why don't you give me your take on it because you, you know we really haven't discussed it so okay well i guess you know i have a take but my first thing to <laughs> say <laughs> i guess i do have kind of a take on it but uh just as the experience of watching the movie i'll start there sure that's a great place um, to start yeah which is that this movie is really loose. It's it's two and a half hours long. It's probably 90 minutes worth of story. Yeah, I agree. And so there's another hour, which is really kind of this very, there's a lot of breathing room around the actors. There's scenes where it almost feels kind of improvisational. The scenes maybe go on a little bit longer than they should. It's Are you sort saying of, that this is Spike Lee's hangout movie? It is a hangout movie. It is kind of a hangout movie. It's a bit of a hangout movie. And here's the thing is that I re- I liked the characters so much. I did too. I loved these four guys. I guess there's a fifth one that comes in. But uh, I loved these main characters so much that I, I just enjoyed hanging out with them. So the hangout stuff I liked. I just got so wrapped up and charmed by these guys. Uh, they were really fun to hang out with. And, and so that was my initial response was it was just very pleasurable to watch because I enjoyed the characters so much. Yeah. Almost the adventure plot gets in the way of the hangout. It does. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I like hated that either, but it is like it's two films. It's a little bit uneven because it doesn't. Yes. He doesn't find a way to meld it all together, you know, perfectly. 
Well, the movie kind of bounces around between tones. Yes. Well, that's why I said it's uneven, right? Yeah, but it's not necessarily a bad uneven. It, no. It, it It's uneven in the way that it's like just kind of, <laughs> the movie itself is almost like one of the characters. It's like this rambling old guy. <laughs> <laughs> Which one? There was a lot of rambling old guys. Well, no, that's what I mean. It's like, <laughs> but the movie itself sort of is like listening to one of these old guys talk, right? It's sort of, and, and then like there's flashbacks that are too long uh but i didn't really mind there's scenes that kind of go on but even just the editing is really loose there's there's several instances where like there's an action and he doubles the action on the cut yes yeah i know exactly what you're saying those are spike lee trademark stuff they are spike lee trademarks and they're and i find them pleasing because they give the movie i mean this is a movie with a lot of character i would say Right, it, it's a character it, film, absolutely. Yeah, but not, but like the film itself has character in changing the aspect ratios, in just the the different film stocks, the way it's shot, and the way <laughs> and the way it shows, you know, like these guys' faces is great. So yeah, I I really enjoyed hanging out with these guys. The adventure plot does get. I don't know. I mean, that's really the question. Like, does the film successfully manage these tones and differences? Because at times it's just a really laid back hangout movie. And then somebody steps on a landmine. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, this this is another thing I think is kind of cool because it is a little bit of a departure for a Spike Lee movie. Is yes. that the movie does go off the rails in the second half. And part of yes. it becomes an insane ride. Um, again, it, it, it's, like I said, uneven if I'm yeah. just being a critic and I look, but I mean, I really was enjoying myself. And at the end of it, I had a great time. I, I think that the mistake gets made when everyone goes in looking to see if this is Spike Lee's next film that could get nominated for awards. Right. Yes. You know, because I, I think that's, again, the wrong way to look at this movie. But this is how, unfortunately, the way things are these days. Yes is anything that is from an acclaimed director starts to get looked under that lens as opposed to just saying, hey, if we are building a resume of, of Spike Lee movies, yeah, these are the ones you're going to pluck. And I, this is what I, I get out of it is I feel that even though it was a Netflix movie, yeah, more than almost any other Netflix film I've seen, quite honestly, this is the one that felt like it was a big theater release, and I really wish I had seen it in the theater. There's one other, The Irishman. Oh, I saw that in the theater. And you but, saw that in the theater, <laughs> so you're could, not thinking of it as a Netflix movie, but it is. No, I know, but, but when I saw Irishman, I, I did mention that I don't know if it really felt that theatrical compared oh, to like right. you know, whereas this movie it just felt the way he uses the screen i mean you yes know, taking a, a second when we look at spike lee and his voice for african-american filmmakers yeah and which is why you really have to appreciate and you know think back of how 
hard it's been for African-American filmmakers to get a place in film history because look at the voices that you're missing out on. Spike Lee, you mentioned that thing about the double action. He has a different way of looking at scenes. He does, yeah. And I don't know if it's necessarily because he's black or or if he was white. It's just that he's a voice that looks at film differently than a lot of other people who make movies. And that's what I've always found interesting about him even when he's not a hundred percent successful throughout a movie yeah he he does he always takes chances i feel like yeah he's always pushing on the medium in some way to find new ways of expressing himself and and he does it with panache and some interesting visuals he he is a filmmaker right i think that's the thing And, and sometimes i feel like that gets forgotten about spike is that he is, he's actually, yeah, his filmmaking has a lot of voice and a lot of character and a lot of nuance to it. And, and, and he has always, I mean, even though I can do the right thing, he's balancing different tones, you know, do the right thing is funny and also tragic. And, you know, it has a lot of different emotions going on. And, And that's what he does in this film too. I mean, there's so many different sort of emotional things going on and, there's the scene where they're, uh, man, I don't want to give. Uh, so one thing that's very interesting, you know, budgets are budgets. And there's been some discussion mm-hmm. around the fact that Martin Scorsese, they gave him insane amounts of money to do all this de-aging right. stuff. And then Spike Lee and his cinematographer, Newton Thomas Siegel, yeah. they had to battle Netflix in order to shoot the flashbacks in 16 millimeter. Really? Yes. But here's the reason why is because uh, they shot this. is, And of course, I respect this. I love the attention to detail. Yeah. Um, when Spike Lee was figuring out what he wanted to do for the flashbacks, Newton Thomas Siegel is the one who pushed to shoot it the way a news camera footage would right. have been shot. And he says, well, you got to shoot it like it was ectochrome. Yeah. Because that was what the cameras would shoot, 16 millimeter ectochrome. So they actually, only recently did Kodak start making ectochrome film again. And it's only, they only have like one speed, 100. Right. And for those who don't know, ectochrome is reversal film. And it was shot, it it was, it's uh, created, it's like basically if you got slides done. Exactly. Essentially, they reverse take out the emulsion and you're left with the negative essentially, but it's a positive. And so what you shot is actually, you know, you don't have to make a print from it. Uh, right. And so they used to use that in newsrooms so they could quickly develop and get, you know, news footage on for the six o'clock news. And so that's what a lot of things were shot by yeah. news cameras in Vietnam. But what you got is a very, very saturated mm-hmm. uh, color. And it was very like rich colors. There's probably a not, of, not a lot of uh, gradation in the color. Yeah. Uh, so you don't have a lot of depth of color, but you get very, very vivid colors sometimes it looks muddy but there's something about it that i uh, something about it i love yeah it's one of my favorite things um very few films have ever attempted to be shot entirely yeah. in slide the last film to be entirely shot in ectochrome uh and the look is is quite it's just intoxicating yeah. is buffalo 66 Oh, okay. Now, what about, wasn't Carol shot on 16? I don't know. Yeah, if yeah. It... Carol was shot on Super 16, yeah. uh, but it wasn't shot on ectochrome. Okay. And okay. here's a couple of things, the reason why it's not, is that 
when you are shooting ectochrome and it's processed, it, it's, that's your, that's your negative right, essentially. Right. Um, so you have to be very, very careful with it. And those, uh, negatives or, or positives are very prone to scratching. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, and you know, cause you and I were in, yep, in film yep. school days, you cut on your, you, you, you basically shot on. On reversal. On reversal. And <laughs> edited your. Yeah. yeah. And every little scratch became your final piece. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now today with, with computer technologies, you'd probably be able to put this through a, a process and you make. You know, you digitize prints. it right off the bat. Yeah. But here's the, so here's the thing with the studio. Why were they objecting? Right. Not only because there's more right. cost. Well, they're shooting in Vietnam and they don't have any place to process it. So everything for oh. dailies had to be shipped back to a country that could process and so oh. it, that expense they didn't want to take. But now right. the interesting argument is, is that when Scorsese wanted to spend gazillions right. on, on sketchy de-aging technology, but when Spike did it, but that was the reason. However, they fought for it and they got it. And that's what is really cool about those scenes is they have a look to them that you can achieve digitally. Well, and it's interesting watching those scenes. Uh, okay, here's another Spike thing that he does that's uh, really fascinating is that he has the old guys play themselves in the younger versions. Okay, yeah, so that tailing on that Rather than de-aging, he could have done a few things, right? There's de-aging technology, which cost a lot of money, and they weren't going to give him the budget for that. Right. Or he could have had other actors, younger actors. Is that now you have to find a way to make it clear to an audience who they are exactly. when they're younger. Yeah. But then he does this thing, which you for, he, the way he is a filmmaker- he had the confidence to do this. You never for a second go, oh, well, they're old and they're playing younger selves. You right. understand that it's them kind of thinking back and all they can think about is how they look now. Exactly. That's what's such an interesting approach to flashbacks is like you imagine yourself now in that time. It's a really genius stroke. If anything, yeah. I think this is one of his most successful ideas because then their friend who that's the reason why they're going to Vietnam is right. to, is to find his remains yeah their friend was their commander well he has an age because he died there and yes, so exactly so by having him young and then the rest of them their age you understand that they're thinking back it works perfectly and it also makes the loss of that character more profound more profound and has more emotional impact so you connect with these characters so in addition to that the way the, the the flashbacks are shot i was watching and i was thinking this is some of the best vietnam stuff i've ever seen in a movie and it's because it feels like newsreel and then you know it's interesting uh, again there's a lot of facets to the film so again what we have already mentioned without getting into the specifics that we had some issues with the adventure plot even though it's a fun ride yeah but then it's all these other layers that you can go into this film and really enjoy. And what I liked is the present day Vietnam is you get just as a voyeur of cinema. Mm -hmm. So all we have is our knowledge of Vietnam for most of us who've never visited it is these Vietnam movies, right? Yes. It's always set in the past. So you really get to see what does Vietnam look, feel like today. Yes. And then it, what's so interesting is there's dynamics at play in the story be yes. because a lot of the people that are like maybe, you know, in their 30s or 40s in Vietnam now, they're all children of that brutal war where yes. the Americans 
destroyed lives. Came and destroyed their country. Yeah. And so there's a fascinating dynamic that you don't see explored in any movie. Yeah. And there's, I had not seen that explored. And they joke at one point in the movie about other going back to Vietnam movies. Right. Yeah, like uh, Missing in Action or what was that one with Robert Duvall? Or no, Gene Hackman. Okay, you keep going. Yes, yes, yes. Uncommon Valor. Uncommon Valor. Yeah, they reference those in this movie. Yeah, but it doesn't do that. Although the adventure story does have some elements of that, but largely it's it's a totally different view of Vietnam than we're used to seeing. It's a different examination of it. And I think that having this much time pass – because it could, you know, they could have easily set this film in the 80s. Right. But having them be so much older, I mean, one thing, okay, just one thing I really like is that these guys have health problems. Yes. And other, and financial problems. And financial problems and personal pro- They have problems, but some of their problems are because they're old. And I, it was nice to see a movie about old guys. The actors, uh, the one who gets the flashiest role, but I don't think that necessarily means he's the best actor. It's just he got the flashiest role as Delroy Lindo. Yes. Yeah. Um, But I'm a huge fan of Clark Peters. Which one was he? Clark Peters, the guy from The Wire. Oh, yes. I love that guy. Yeah. And of course, the other guy from The Wire, um, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., the guy that's always, and he does his trademark, shit. (laughs) He does that. I love it. Because he does that in, um, well, all right, you you haven't finished Black Klansman, right? Okay, but he's in that. He's in that too, yeah. All, all of these guys were so fun to hang out with, though. Well, there's a Broadway actor, Norm Lewis. He's the guy who was shooting with the Super 8 camera. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, I love those guys. I, I did. They, they, you, you bought that they were friends over the years. Well, yes. And I think this is one of the better films. I, I, I was trying to think of another one, but it, a, a movie about friendship. This is really, uh, in a lot of ways, a movie about having lifelong friends and the ways in which you diverge from each other and how you still love each other and what you hate about each other. And it's pretty complicated interpersonal stuff going on. Yes. And so, you know, he, like I said, what I I look at is that Spike Lee almost uses this um, adventure, everybody going on a quest uh, buddy movie, uh, the genre, in order to explore other themes. Yes. It's like an excuse, right? It's like an excuse to explore the, yeah. And, and so it's sort of like the adventure plot is kind of the scaffolding to put all this other stuff in, to put all this other meaning in. The other thing to, <laughs> again, the tone thing is there's a lot of comedy in the movie. Yes. Yes. And somehow it manages to be both funny and serious at the same time without uh, totally undermining either one. Yeah, well, I mean, look like look at uh, like films like Dirty Dozen. Yes, yeah. And this has, you know, this also this film has a bit of like uh, a little bit of Treasure of Sierra Madre, absolutely, which is directly referenced. And you know, here's like uh, some things that th- this one bothered me, and help me out on this. I don't, yeah. I'm, again, I think we're doing a good job of not really giving anything away. But there's a moment, and I think it was confusing, uh-huh. an editing moment that. There's a point where they're out in the jungle and they've found yeah. their friend and they've also made another discovery. They cut to a scene where where two characters and it looked like they had guns were watching them. Yes. And then they go away and it was very unclear who those characters were. 
Yeah. I was confused of whether the were the people who were out there mind sweeping or were these people that were like going to get in there. It was very, I think it was a poor editing decision. I had the same response when that initially happened. Part of the issue is those guys do show up again. Okay. So they were, they were the people that were kind of watching their progress and they're the people from, uh, you know, you know, the guy that uh, plays the cleaner there, the other move, the French guy, they were, they were with them, right? Exactly. Yeah. They were with them. Yeah, it was, but it, you know what? It was not, I don't think that was a necessary shot. I think it added more confusion than it, but you know what I'm saying? It, it, the thing is, it, the reason it added more confusion is that it was so, there wasn't, there was too much time between seeing that and when yes. those guys showed up and some other people showed up in the meantime. Yeah, that's what so, throws it, you throws you all off. So I think that was a bad editing decision and I know it seems nitpicky, <laughs> but it, it is nitpicky, but it did throw me off too. So I, you know, I'll give you the nitpick. Uh, I'll let you have that one. <laughs> and now I'm going to ask you another question. And again, I know you haven't seen uh black Klansman, so I don't know how far you got into that because uh, you only seen parts of that, Yeah, but he has two actors that he's cast yeah. in this movie that he also had in Black Klansman. Uh, these are two white guys. One is Paul Walter Hauser, and the mm-hmm. other is a Finnish actor named Jasper Pakanang. Okay. And in Black Klansman, they both play these Klansmen, uh, total, uh, like, hick, white racist guys. Okay. And so they're bad guys in Black right. Klansmen. But here they play good guys, but it's a weird thing because of the casting you have this expectation that, especially Jasper Pakanon, he yeah. always seems like he's playing a heavy. It's hard to buy that they're actually going to be good guys. So as an audience, you mistrust them because yes. of typecasting. Um, so that was a little <laughs> bit problematic. And Paul Walter Hauser is a guy who he always plays this overweight, sort of dumb white guy. Right, right. And, and I really don't like him as an actor. And he's the one who played Richard Jewell. He's supposed to be really good oh, in that movie. Oh, okay. And I haven't seen that, um, but uh, partly because I really don't like that actor. And so, you know, he comes on the screen and I have an expectation right. for what he is. And the writing of those characters, I don't know if it's intentional or not intentional, but I sometimes wonder, are they are they just poorly written or is Spike Lee making a commentary on here? So many times the black characters in uh-huh. movies are not well written and they're kind of put in as stereotypes so i am going to put in some white stereotypes well i think that's actually a little bit true i think there is a commentary going on there about race in some way and i thought it was interesting though yeah yeah i can't i can't totally unpack it right now off the top of my (laughs) head but that's another thing we haven't really talked about is you know there spike layers in so many conversations about race and imperialism and well that's the thing with the melanie theory that's the french woman yes uh that delroy lindo's son who somehow joins the party yes uh, jonathan majors is that actor they start to have a little bit of a bond and you know people who don't know their history is that uh the french colonized vietnam and yes. still have a lot of leftovers there so exactly that, i thought that was kind of interesting that character yeah she was a really interesting character and And I mean, it's an interesting thing, the way that the adventure plot is kind of woven in, because that first scene with uh, Del Lindo's son, uh, with the two of them, uh, like in a restaurant, sort of being flirty with each other. Yes. Is is a pretty long scene, and it's it's pretty relaxed, and it's really letting the characters shine, but it, it reveals a plot detail. 
which is that she is her nonprofit is out looking for unexploded landmines in right, Vietnam, which is going to play a key role in the entire movie, <laughs> which is going to play a key role in the entire movie. But it's it's a very interesting way to introduce it. And which is not just it introduces it through character, not through handing the audience a piece of information. But then it's there. Once it's put in the movie, everywhere they go, I'm like, ah, they're digging. Is there going to be a landmine? And so it creates this whole tension through the next section of the film. By the way, that the, the scene with uh, Jonathan Majors, who's Delroy Lindo's son. Yeah. The scene that, and you know what I'm talking about. Is so amazing. <laughs> yes, that. it's so it's so great. It's so great. Yeah, so, you know, it's funny. You just we talked this through. I had my problems with it. I don't know if it's some like this is a masterpiece movie. It's just there's a lot of the stuff that, that, that there's just so much to enjoy, so much to think about, yeah. many different levels. So it's a great achievement for Spike Lee. I think. I think yeah. it just shows you that. You know, you have these directors and I think about like Robert Altman who had ups and downs in his yeah. career. I'm not saying Spike Lee ever went away. It's just there was a several years where he just was gone off making these little movies. He couldn't get anybody to finance. And yeah. suddenly he comes back with Black Klansman and now he's making this. And I feel like, wow, the Spike Lee that used to get me into the theater. Yeah. He is back and he's doing cool things. And I actually, th I, I, I think to Five Bloods is one of his best movies. I would definitely put it in his top yeah. movies. Uh, these are films that like, I just I love it. I thought it was a great movie. One thing we hadn't, we haven't really gotten into on it, but is worth mentioning is how this movie sits in the Vietnam movie subgenre. And it's a it's a weird addition too because it's not quite it's not like an you know it's it's new neat Vietnam adventure yeah. but it has a tie in much to the past and also some of the I guess the wounds of that war yeah and how they haven't healed for many of the main characters in the film exactly yeah so it, it but I think it, it it's a comment on Vietnam films in a way it's a comment on how we remember the war and what those scars are for you know us as a country say and specifically for these characters but also uh for Vietnam as a country and I think that more than most other films this uh, and even still it's there's some aspects of the Vietnam movie that this can't escape like focusing on the American male experience. This is true. However, there's one there's one key difference that I think yeah. is very interesting is that every single Vietnam movie that has come before this film, yeah, even though you will see African American actors in all of them, yes, the focus is always on a white man's experience. Uh, it's always on a white man's experience. <laughs> Until yeah. now. And I think that's what makes this, uh, uh, elevates it as well, is that yeah. this is these are stories that haven't been told and Spike Lee is telling them. And it gets, yeah, it, it does, it gets into, there's several times where there's characters who are like, you killed my mother and father, you GIs. Yeah, they don't care what color they are. The fact is that they were American. Exactly. That was something that, again, it hits you a bit. That, and like these characters that they went through their own struggles of them not even wanting to be there and being right. like, you know, because um, I mean, a disproportionate number of African-Americans were sent over to Vietnam. I think they say in the movie that something like 12% of the U.S. population is African-American. 
and 36% of the soldiers in Vietnam were African-American. Something, I, I, I may have the numbers slightly off, but. It didn't seem like any of those characters had bone spurs in, the, <laughs> in getting out of Vietnam. But, but it's a really, it's a, you know, there's a lot about sort of layers of oppression. And you're right, they are seen as the oppressors in Vietnam, as the imperialistic Americans. And they don't feel that way. Although I got to say, one we we mentioned Delroy Lindo. He wears a "Make America Great Again" hat through the whole movie. Oh, that's I'm glad you brought this up because this is a huge commentary. Without being so overt and having big speeches about what's happening in America yeah. today, that hat in this movie becomes a symbol for a couple of things: either a villainous yep. or b totally unbalanced and yes. the car and so basically what he's saying is if you're supporting that uh, <laughs> you're supporting D donald trump and that whole idea what you're basically saying is that you're per someone who either has severely mentally unbalanced yes. or that you are of villainous nature and that's because the hat passes itself around as it like you know it's like a talisman <laughs> yeah i think mentally unbalanced and also kind of uh self-hating Yes, because that's Delroy Lindo has a lot of emotional scars. Yes. And he's angry for so many reasons. Yeah, exactly. And and that anger, I think, is what motivates that hat. Right. People want to wear a symbol that says, I'm 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 well, I'm mad as hell and I'm not gonna take it anymore, I guess. Yeah. So I I don't know. I highly recommend this movie. Just you know, as long as you know that it's two and a half hours long and that it's going to be kind of loose around the edges. Uh, but that I really, I mean, that's that's one of the things I, I I just, I sort of unabashedly love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Well, that's why when you'd only seen a half an hour and I remember the first text you were like saying like, well, I think this kind of experiment. I wasn't sure what your, uh, your take on this film was. And I'm like, oh, I hope he gives it a chance because yeah. I think he's going to really like it. Now, when we watched it, you, you mentioned that length. We didn't get to start it till like nine o'clock and yeah. we had our, our our near 12 year old son was in 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 for the movie and you know some of these movies you don't know how he's going to take it he's right. like uh, bored or whatever so it was 10 30 and we thought okay maybe we'll have to watch like the last hour tomorrow. right so we paused and i said okay i think we're going to stop he, his eyes bug up and he looks at it he says what he's like no 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 no. we're watching the whole thing <laughs> he's like we gotta watch the whole thing now he really was engaged in oh, it. that's and great. He, you know, this is a kid who's so far removed from Vietnam. So this right. is like the first time he's getting a story about it. Um, and he really liked it. And again, don't get shied away of thinking, oh, it's too thematic. That's the brilliant. Spike Lee makes it very accessible because there's an adventure story going exactly. on. Exactly. That's the, 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 the adventure story is part of the brilliance because it creates this sort of, like I said before, it's a scaffolding that you can hang all these other conversations and friendships and history and conflict. All of that can, has this room to breathe kind of within this tighter movie. So Spike Lee does all these cool things. You know, again, you know, everybody thinks I'm against uh, digital filmmaking. Right. Well, here it is. He uses this ectochrome film yep. for to really uh, make a separation in the past. And that also works with your understanding that the actors are in another time. Yep. Uh, there's scenes that are shot on eight millimeter because one guy's like filming on an eight millimeter camera. Yeah, which is really bizarre. And one guy has a 35 millimeter still camera. Well, I think the reason why he's shooting with that eight millimeter is because for him, he's trying to capture memories the way that he remembers right. them. Um, but then 
while they're in Vietnam, like the city of Vietnam waiting to go on their adventure, it shot super widescreen 239 yes. uh, digitally. But yep. then they hit the jungle and the camera opens up to a full frame 185. Yes. Uh, shot with like high res digital cameras with, uh, it turns out it was shot with like uh, Leica lenses. And this thing, it's so gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. Yeah. That uh, it just adds depth and layers. And so now you're, you're, you're moved into a new area and you're yeah. experiencing things. And again, it's this combination of what Spike Lee and his cinematographer, Newton Thomas Siegel does that uh, this all benefits the movie experience. Yes. So again, yeah, high recommendations, I think. High recommendation for me, one of my favorite Spike Lee movies. I also, (laughs) you know, this doesn't happen very often, but after I watch it, I I, I thought, I, I look forward to seeing that again someday. Oh, I absolutely would sit down and watch it a second time. Because again, when we talk about the Hangout movies, and I think that's a great uh, thing, uh, moniker to hang on this movie, is just like uh, what Tarantino does. Exactly. Sometimes the plot is secondary to all the things that he's putting in around yes. the plot. Um, and so I think that this is Spike Lee's hangout film and you know, exactly. you heard it here first. Yeah. And <laughs> he also, I think, nails the ending. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think because you enjoy the characters so much. Exa- that's right. That's exactly why. Yeah. If you don't enjoy the characters, you're not going to have some, say, feelings that some of the characters may not, you know. Right. Um, but yeah, it, it resolves very well. And, you know, it's weird. I make it a, 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 in a strange way because of the plot. There's a little bit of comparisons to a film that we talked about several um, weeks ago. Uh-huh. And that was um, Dragged Across Concrete. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, it, yeah. I can see that. Yeah. And there's several things that happen, but I feel that Spike Lee is way more successful in tying all these things up and then an ending that satisfies. Yeah. Um, and it just shows you, you know, again, this guy, you know, we're, we're putting in a high tier of very skilled filmmakers. Yes. And I think that for a generation now really has not uh, had anything to really, you know, hang their hats on with Spike Lee because a, a lot of his films have not seen the theaters. Well, he's also done a couple like Inside Man was good, but it's hard to say that's just, you know, it's not really. That was what, early 2000s or late 90s? When was that? No, it was early 2000s, I think. And then he also recently did, which I did not see, the Old Boy remake. Heard that, I heard that was terrible. Yeah, I heard it was terrible too, but he was, you know, looking for a job for a while. He's got a bunch of stuff that I guess maybe it's time to relook at some of these yeah. weird things that are available, like Chirac and other things but i think that he's just keeping himself busy until he was able to get back in the game and you know the thing with netflix because they don't have theaters to contend with right that's probably where he can make a two hour and 35 minute 40 minute hangout movie because they're not so worried about well it would be better if this was two hours well and i definitely got that feeling yeah that it, it uh that there wasn't he had the freedom in terms of time on this movie and that's why it works as a hangout movie because there's enough space around those conversations and it's because i felt like i i had this thought several times there wasn't any studio pressure on the running time it seems like they let him have free reign so yeah uh so two thumbs up from uh jim and i Jill. guess two thumbs up from us yeah okay so you know since we last all spoke uh, haven't had a chance to see a ton of movies but there's a film that I had wanted to see 
and I've kept it in my back pocket. Yeah. And then uh, my wife tells me, oh, I signed us up for Canopy, which is a, a film streaming service that if your library happens to be hooked up with them. Your local public library. It's not on everyone, but you could check. Yeah. So if you check, then there's an app and you get to have rentals in a yeah. sense, 10 free movies a month, which, you know, uh, that's a pretty good considering everybody has other streaming you know, possibilities, but you could supplement <laughs> your other streaming. Yeah. They've got, you know, the, again, they're sort of like, a, they, they have that library mentality. So they're like maybe more heavily on the art films. And documentaries and educational things. It's also stuff that they, it's easier to get the streaming rights for. Yeah, I would say, yes. So they, they don't necessarily have a lot of big studio movies. Uh, but you know, you'd be surprised because um, I know you haven't checked out the service yet. Um, and they have a fair amount of Criterion films that they also offer. Too. Oh, okay, that's cool. So if you don't have the Criterion channel, this was you another You can get option. some there. Yeah. And I mean, you know, these things cost money, so Canopy's free. Uh, but one thing that they that jumped out at me was this film that I'd been wanting to see from last year uh, called In Fabric. Yeah. And the director is this guy, he's a British guy, Peter Strickland. Mm -hmm. And he made this film that I saw years ago, uh, Barbarian Sound Studio. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was a noble failure. I feel like he was going for something and I don't feel he accomplished it uh, completely. I really liked that movie. My wife did too. From 2012. Yeah, I was a big fan. of. I, I remember you saying part of your objection was that it should have been shot on 16. I agree with that. Yeah, that was, that was my take. However, okay, so then he has another film called Duke of Burgundy, yes. which- after after I've seen in fabric, I'm jumping ahead again. My wife and I have started watching the first half hour of it. is It's on Hulu. Yes. So we were just intrigued because this in fabric, this is my jam. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It is the weirdest movie. It's the weirdest movie. Here's okay. Just <laughs> and I made you watch this because I was like, I'm like, please go see this film. Now. It has some similarities to Defy Blood. Okay. That's it's maybe a weird, weird thematic pairing, but uh, okay. Maybe not thematically, but it has a similarity in terms of the balancing of tone. There's like a horror element, but that's sort of that's sort of a backseat to the kind of dark humor aspect. Yeah, there's a horror element. There's a dark humor aspect. There's realistic drama and character development. And it, we were just talking about the Five Bloods managing these different tones. This movie does that too. There's some stuff that's. There's some stuff that's scary. There's some stuff that's like some of the horror stuff is actually kind of funny. This is the movie I call it's a dial to 11 type film. Yes. Because, <laughs> because I mean, it, it essentially, right, it boils all down to uh, like a haunted dress. Yes. Uh, and I call this as sort of the subgenre of inanimate objects as talisman. Yes. Um, yep. it, it's, it's, it's as uh, scary as the MAGA hat. Um, yep. <laughs> and, uh, it, and it's so preposterous. But so wonderful that, you know, you could maybe hint that this dress is possessed or it's, you know, causing mayhem. But instead, he actually shows the dress causing mayhem. And I love that. Yes. Yeah. And the, I mean, the dress like moves around. I, I like how, you know, they just, yeah, the, the, the dress moves around. And the dress is really interesting uh, as an object. 
Yes. And he has a lot of fun sort of showing just fabric flowing in the wind kind of thing. We, we constantly see the dress blowing. Yes. Uh, and it's just this rippling red fabric that's really becomes very iconic and takes on sort of this personality almost. There's like a weird emblem on the dress and yes. it seems to cause a rash in the shape of that emblem on people. Yes. <laughs> And then there's a weird saying, like, I don't know what language it's in, but there's a weird saying embroidered on the inside of the dress. And then there's this insane downtown British store yes. that looks like it's a department store right out of the 80s. And and, and by the way, I don't, I, I don't think it ever really overtly stated this, but the movie takes place in January of 93. Oh, okay. During big, big, huge, I guess England's famous, like big after, you know, after holiday sales. And so it starts, they have this insane advertisement on TV that looks like (laughs) something out of uh, uh, Halloween three season of the witch, Silver Shamrock. (laughs) Uh, Yes, it does look like that. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's such a weird ad. It's, uh, It's hard to describe. It's like flashing images and mannequins. And then there's these women who work at the store who all wear these black dresses and they're almost i don't want to give too much away but they're kind of like mannequins themselves they are and, <laughs> and there's they, like a whole thing going on and uh and then there's the old guy who runs the store and they have this really specific way of talking that's very ornate and uh very complex sentences and word usage and it's almost like they're from another century or something yeah, this is like, I mean, this is like combination horror, fantasy, throwback to 80s movies. Yes. There's music that's awesome. And it's from a, it's this group called Cavern of Matter, but it's really a couple of the people behind the band uh, Stereo Lab. Oh, interesting. Okay. And, and I love the music. And my wife said it best is that she feels like this takes place in the same universe that Mandy does. I thought, okay, there were a few movies that were on my mind during this. Mandy was one of them. It was on mine. The Phantom Thread. Totally on my mind. And Suspiria. There's a lot in common with the Italian Gale movies. Yes, which is what Berberian- Which was they were trying to go for, I know, and he was starting to perfect it. But Berberian Sound Studio is a movie about Giallo movies. Yeah, Giallo, thank you. Yeah, um, yeah he obviously loves Giallo movies. Uh, now, Duke of Burgundy, which I've only seen the first half hour, and I don't only give away, all I can say is the aesthetic. He is going for those weird sort of like late 70s, early 80s, sort of Euro uh, soft porn look. Yes. Uh, or Skinamax <laughs> kind of movies. Um, yeah. But he's doing other things in addition. But, uh, you know, I don't know. So did you like In Fabric? Yeah. Because I didn't like it. I loved it. I loved this movie and I will see it again. Oh, I'll, I'll probably see it again. There are certain things that I loved more than others. <laughs> But there isn't, but, but I don't, I don't have a lot of nitpicking. There were, there's, there were some scenes that just didn't, weren't quite as powerful, but you know, there were some scenes that just blew me away. Cause there's two kind of stories going on. And the second story I didn't like as much as the first story. I guess that's one of my complaints, but the second story did grow on me. And well, it also, it's now, once you get to the end, it's important. It all ties in. It all ties in. Yeah. 
but where for me where the movie where the movie turned into a, to me where I'm like I this is just my kind of movie yeah is when it's nighttime at the shop and the the woman who's behind the counter, Miss <laughs> Luckmore, she like goes in this back room, takes off her wig, and gets into a dumb waiter and heads on town. And we don't and know then, where it goes. At that point, I'm like, this movie's insane, and I love it so much. Well, and I think what's interesting is that he takes all like every scene, he finds some interesting way to go with it. There's something that happens in both stories, which is that the main characters in both stories are pulled in to talk to their bosses. Oh my God. I love that. Cause there's a whole commentary on sort of British. Yes. You know, kind of like where government controls you. (laughs) Yeah. And so she's called in by her bosses at the bank and what are just some, for me, some of the best scenes in the movie. (laughs) Well, one of those actors, he's a famous British actor where he does a lot of comedies and he was in this great uh, sort of, two season comedy thing called the mighty boosh oh yes yes people love that yeah and he's also the lead character in this hilarious movie called Mindhorn, which you could also find on yes. netflix uh julian barrett and he's so funny that they are very concerned that uh she like you know somebody spotted her taking like a bathroom break and uh or or her handshake was not good enough yeah for 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 the boss's <laughs> mistress or something yes. it's, it's really outrageous and that in the second story the guy is like like loses a job because somebody reports that he was fixing his own washing machine. Exactly. And yeah. that that was kind of- comp- He gets he fired using- for fixing- <laughs> Because the company trained him on how to do that, so he's not supposed to be able to do his own thing without paying. Exactly. Yeah. It's abs- it's absurd. The whole movie's absurd. But, but then the scenes when he's pulled in to talk to his boss, his boss- oh, That was the best. Has no dialogue. <laughs> he just does that. Th- I can't I can spoil it. He just stares at him. Look, I, I'm going to be, this is my call. You know how you always say, well, I don't know who I can recommend this movie to. There are going to be people that are going to watch this film and they're going to come back and say, you two are insane. <laughs> yes. And I get it. <laughs> but right? here's the thing. I feel like you know in the first 10 or 15 minutes whether this is going to click with you. Well, this guy even does, and maybe this is also, he did this with Barbarian Sound Studio. This is why I was so excited. And then I didn't feel like the rest of the film could live up to the extent. His credit sequences are amazing. Yeah. So even like the opening credit sequence should tell you whether. (laughs) You should see the Duke of Burgundy's opening credit sequence. Uh, I plan to. We'll talk about that next week. It's so stunning. Um, So I I just, very rarely do I get to a movie that really just tickles me in all the ways that I want to be tickled. And this is the one that I just loved. My wife loved it. We couldn't stop talking about it. There's these amazing dream sequences in the film. Yes. He finds, even in the most ordinary scenes, or what would typically be an ordinary scene, he finds some interesting way to go about it, whether it's through the performances or really unexpected dialogue, but but scenes didn't necessarily go where I thought they were going to go. And, and it's like every scene I feel like he has a unique take on and is looking at it in a different way than it, it would just be so easy to do some of the expected things. And he takes it in a different direction. Yeah. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to give away too much. I think we've said it enough. I mean, it's, it's weird. It's insane. Yeah. And if you like those kind of weird midnight cult movies, go for it. But it's better than a midnight cult movie. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Well, no, I mean, you know, I'm just I'm just using it as a reference is that it's that it's that weird. You know? it, it is that weird, but it also it, but it it's not like a B midnight cult movie. 
right? It's not one of those things where like you kind of, it's such a curiosity that that's like, it actually works on the character level too. There's interesting stuff going on on, on that level. And yes, everything is so weird. And uh, those guys at the bank are one of my f- favorite things I've seen in movies in a long time. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, you know, another thing is that uh, for the first story, the main character is Marianne Jean-Baptiste. Yes. Uh, and I haven't seen her a lot. Uh, she was great in the movie 96, uh, Secrets and Lies. Yes. Yep. Um, which uh, it'll segue. That was directed by Mike Lee. And then uh, the last film that I, I saw this week that's on my list yeah. I want to mention is a Mike Lee film. And I, just very briefly, because I don't think I asked you and you hadn't seen this film. Yeah, I haven't seen it. Criterion is offering up a collection of Mike Lee films. And I've seen a good deal of them uh, over the years. But, you know, there's always a few kicking around here and there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually started watching his newest film that was on Amazon, Peterloo, uh, but I found it kind of boring. It's it's more of an historical drama. And then it's like, it's about like a British massacre of uh, people who are protesting, which is probably timely, right. <laughs> timely now. But uh, I haven't gotten through that. And then also I tried to watch Mr. Turner a few years ago. Okay. And I don't know. I mean, I just didn't grab me in the first five minutes. So I haven't put that away. But I've seen I've seen the majority of his feature films. Uh, but one thing I didn't get to see was 2010's Another Year. Yeah, I have not seen it yet. And so I, you know, I was like, well, you know, what? let me dive in check this out for a few minutes and you always know if, if a movie's good you always make time to watch the whole thing yes <laughs> and then sometimes it's like not that it's not good but it's like well i'll have to see it in in installments yeah this film really grabbed me and i made a point to finish watching it and you know sometimes mike lee it's same thing over and over he kind of explores middle class uh ordinary people yeah and delves into their lives and how characters interplay with each other uh they usually do a three-month rehearsal period where mm-hmm. he has the ideas he gives the characters what he wants basically the story to be and then they workshop it yeah uh, and he writes things down and then there's you know kind of refining dialogue till the last minute etc but even so what it, what you get is is at one point it might have been improvisational but it's been perfected it's been perf- yeah. They, it started off being improvisational, but then they like edited it down basically to its core elements. Yeah. So when they're shooting, it's not improvisational. It's anymore. not improvised at all. But the actors have so much familiarity with the characters; they're so deep into it that it feels really naturalistic. And yes, it feels like real conversations, not movie conversations. Yeah, and so there's interactions that happen, and sometimes reactions of characters. They are so like you almost feel like the actor was surprised by the information because it's so well done that you yes. buy it as, as genuine. And the the concept is very simple. It takes place over one year and it's kind of four segments in four seasons. Okay. And you get this married couple older uh, and it's Jim Broadbent, a frequent Mike Lee yep. uh, person. He plays Tom and he's married to his wife, played by another Mike Lee uh, stalwart, Ruth Sheen, and she mm-hmm. plays Jerry. And so there's kind of a funny thing about Tom and Jerry. Okay. Um, and they, <laughs> these are people actually kind of remind me of your parents a little bit. Oh, interesting. Okay. They have this nice rapport with each other. They seem to be very friendly. Uh, they have a certain way about them. And they are just generally enjoy life, and they don't really seem to have any problems. And they have their friends and you meet their friends and their family, which is their son, their son, Joe, over these segments. And 
the people around them sometimes have problems. Right. <laughs> and uh, the Ruth Sheen, Jerry's character, she is a therapist. And maybe because of that and her nature of being able to listen to people and, 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 and counsel them, people kind of seek her out to mm-hmm. almost get that out of their life without an official setting. Right. Uh, and they have this one character as a co-worker. She's a receptionist that uh, Jerry works with. Her name is, uh, her character's name is Mary, and it's played by Leslie Manville. And you mentioned oh, Phantom yeah. Thread. Yep. She played the sister yes. in uh, Phantom Thread. She was, so she was amazing in Phantom Thread, and she was nominated for an Oscar uh, for Supporting Actress. This is a movie that I, I kind of first heard about another year because I heard there was one performance that was in this film that was so amazing that a lot of people were shocked they didn't get nominated oh, that interesting. year. Oh, interesting. It's Leslie Manville. She plays okay. a character that is so incredibly layered, textured, and you feel like you don't know her personally, but you over your life, you've met people like this person. Oh, interesting. That they're good-hearted, but they're troubled and they just can't put it all together and they're now older and they haven't been able to get married probably because they were just a basket of uh, right. there's a lot to deal with there and over the series of events over these different seasons you really get a lot out of this character and I won't, I won't tell okay. you anymore there's so many dynamics and it's really a film that I kind of would like to discuss with somebody who's seen it I'll watch it because there's there's differences of opinions that some people have about the married couple. Oh, interesting. About the way that they approach. Right. And I have very specific opinion that's different than people that maybe say have a negative reaction to this movie. But only because I feel this movie is so realistic. Wait, people have a negative reaction to it? Some people find Mike Lee's characters very, very cynical and they don't like the, the main characters, Tom and Jerry. They actually think they're very mean. Oh, okay. Okay. I have a much different opinion because what happens in a Mike Lee film is he gives you what he's going to give you. And that's these scenes. There is stuff that happens behind the scenes. There may be conversations that are left off the table. And so that's what's fascinating in these four segments and four seasons is you have to kind of think about the way people interact when they're with people. And how do they interact when those people are not with them anymore and what they might say about them? And you have to do a little of that work on your own. You do. So this film, there's a lot going on and he's like gives you – and when you're when the movie's over, it's a long movie. It's like two hours and 12 minutes. Yeah. I'm sad that it's over because I wanted more because I really was caught up in the stories. Interesting. Okay. I, I You know, it's interesting the three films we've talked about. Yes. <laughs> They're character-driven pieces. What's interesting is yes. that you you get a really a lot going on uh, in these movies. Well, and they're doing something different that's very specific to the voice of the director. They are well, all of these are auteur movies, right? They're I don't know who wrote the, the Defy Bloods, but uh four different writers. Four okay. <laughs> I think I want to say that it was based on a book. Oh, really? But I okay. think Spike Lee may have completely changed it. Into you know, in, in like to fit what he wanted to do. I don't know. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So I, yeah, I don't know, but but I guess what I'm getting at is directorial voice and how these movies may not appeal to everyone. Some people object to, like you were saying, with the with the Mike Lee film. It, it may not be for everybody, but there's something unique going on here that is not your 
typical three-act classical Hollywood narrative. Right. And I guess the most classical narrative one would be The Five Bloods, but, you know. Yeah. But he does something so different with it that, well, and, and also like in Fabric, it would be really easy to do that concept as a cheesy horror movie. Well, right. That's what I was saying is that, you know, the object that's evil. Yeah. That's not a new that, like I said, there's a whole subgenre. Yeah. But he, he's basically not just interested in that. There's a lot of things he wants to explore. Yes. There's three films here. Yeah. And all of them at one point, like, so uh, even though Mike Lee just does things with like actors, right. he shoots that film 235. In Fabric is 235. Yeah. And then Spike Lee has multiple uh, frames. One thing I noted in all of these, the director's knew what to do with the framing. Yes, it wasn't just... <laughs> but that's so important. I mean, these uh, these three movies are uh, are director movies. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you didn't like even care about like, well, I don't like horror movies or this weirdness, but you love composition and yeah. you love art direction um, and costumes, see in fabric for that. Yeah. Oh, he just does some... There's some really incredible shots and the way he like layers reflections in... Ah, yes. Particularly in the uh, in the department store. Well, remember, and then there's like these weird freeze frames. Yes. And other, like what I really appreciate is as I go, you know, as, as somebody who loves films and, and wanted to be a filmmaker, I sometimes see things and, and go, oh, you know what? I, I think I would have approached things differently and I could have yeah. done this better. I watch a film like In Fabric and I'm going, I don't know if I could have ever thought of doing things like this. It, I had the exact same thought. I, I, I was like, how does he... How does he conceptualize how to, you know, block this or play this scene or, yeah, I mean, it's he's a really creative and interesting director who's doing, uh, yeah, something that, that, yeah, it's just not the expected way. It's not the way I would do things. Well, you know who, you know who produce helps produces movies? Who? Ben Wheatley. Oh, I knew that. Yes, I saw his name at the beginning. He's also produced, I don't know if he did Barbarian Sound Studio, but he did help produce Duke of Burgundy as well. Yeah. And I can see the similarities there. In Fabric, uh, or, or I guess the Duke of Burgundy, they're, they're really inexpensive movies. They're only shot for like a million pounds. Yeah. Well, and that's what I mean by the similarity. It's like, it's, it's, they're just, you know, young British guys <laughs> <laughs> making these low budget movies that kind of do something interesting. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is, is that, you know, sometimes when you only have so much of a budget, you are inventive in a way that you're yes. not when you have all the money. And uh, again, this In Fabric, it, it, it's just my, it, it just, it's my kind of movie. I just love it and cherish it. And I'm glad that it exists <laughs> now. And again, I love that dark comedy, the scene with those two bosses. Yes. And, you know, there's like things like the way that these the logos of these companies are designed, everything yes. about, there's like all this care that, that everything's a character. That's a great way to put it. Absolutely everything is a character. And then, there, oh man, there's just like that dog attack scene. Oh, yes. Right. She's out there. Right. Why? Yeah. It's so bizarre. <laughs> it was so sudden that I actually had to rewind it and watch that scene twice. Now, now here's a question. Uh, did your wife watch In Fabric with you? She did not. Okay, because we're now because you had this debate. You said, "Will my wife like in fabric?" And I'm like, "I don't know what her tastes are. I don't, I don't know. Maybe this is too risky." But do you no, think I she think she would have liked, liked it. It just didn't work out schedule wise. All right, because I'm like, I don't know if she doesn't watch a lot of movies. So is this the one she should be watching? <laughs> I, that I don't know. Maybe we should save a different movie for her. Um, but uh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Oh yeah, I really enjoyed it. Well, and I liked Burberian Sound Studio. I expect to like Duke of Burgundy too because I I think this guy is interesting. I like. 
Duke of Burgundy from what we've watched, but it's not as an easy sell right. as In Fabric was, only because like it's a different kind of weird, and we're going to talk about that too, but it, but it does tell me that this guy, he's the real deal. I'm going to watch yeah. this guy to make more movies, and, and I'm in on anything he makes from this point on because yeah. he's now building a resume because even though Barbarian Sound Studio wasn't my favorite – this strung together with these other two movies, he's definitely building on something. And I uh, I really like Barbarian Sound Studio, and I, I recommend it to people who are looking for weird independent stuff. I might have, I might have to go back to it again to rewatch now that I've like, you know. Wh- I think you need to rewatch it. Well, once you become a fan of something, yeah. you know, you go back and you rewatch their older works and you're like, oh yeah. But I mean, this in fabric, I just can't say enough about it, the things that you would normally pick on a movie for- yeah for their plot or device, a film like this, it all works together. And I, and I, and I won't complain about it. <laughs> uh, I just, I, there's that I just like when the dress is floating in air and comes after. <laughs> oh, it's so great. Like yeah. is it Gwendolyn Christie that it comes after? Yes. I can't remember. I just, I love that too. It's Gwendolyn Christie. She, of course, everybody knows her as Brenneth Tarth from uh, Game of Thrones. Right. She, right. she was like, uh, she plays a character named Gwen, who is the girlfriend of- um, Fiance. The, oh, is it fiance of Marianne Jean-Baptiste? And she's got like this dark black wig on, and she kind of looks completely different than she's ever looked. And it's kind of cool that she's- yeah. But there's a whole thing with wigs in this movie. <laughs> oh, wait. I was thinking about a different character. Okay. No, I, no, no. You were thinking about, yeah, that's uh, Haley Squire. She plays yes. Babs. No, I'm talking yeah. about Gwendolyn Christie. Yes, She's yes. the girlfriend of Marianne Jean-Baptiste's son. Yes, yes, exactly. But she's unrecognizable because she's wearing a big dark black wig. She's a fascinating character in this movie. She is. There's so everything so it's so great. <laughs> there there's no throwaways here. Nothing done easily. Everything, absolutely every moment of the movie has full force of the director's creativity behind it. Uh, so, you know, look, there's three movies that we've talked about this week and uh well, I know you haven't seen another year, but uh Defy Bloods in Fabric Another year. The easiest probably to find is Defy Bloods. If yeah. you have Netflix, you should watch that. Yeah. And then in Fabric, if you like anything that's different, Ghost, I'm, I'm sure that now in the next year or so, more people are going to catch up with this film. Yeah. And it's great. It's like when I saw Mandy, uh, I felt like I discovered something and I wanted to tell people about it. Yeah. Yeah. This is definitely reminded me of Mandy. Okay. Well, uh, you know, I'm not sure when we're going to. I'll talk again, but uh, hopefully soon. Uh, and uh, stay safe, everybody. I mean, it's not that hard to wear a mask. That's what I say. <laughs> Just <laughs> really, wear a mask. Just, Just wear, wear a mask. mask. Uh, you know, or, or if you're afraid of people seeing you wear a mask, wear a wig and a mask. Okay? Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, <laughs> bye, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>